Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 69 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes. Stop it, you. The podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain. I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I am Andy Stewart. Yeah, and rest assured, listeners, that while uh, the UK bums around us, we will continue to bring you episodes, and this is no exception. And joining us tonight, he is the director and star of the Fright Fest selection, Death of a Vlogger. It's Graham Hughes. Graham, hello. Hi there. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Good. Thank you very much for taking the time to come and do this in person, which is always nice. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we have some tea, we have some uh, red licorice, which is a strange combination. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we're here to talk The Ghost and the Darkness. Yes, Graham, taking us back to 1996 with The Ghost and the Darkness. So, why this one? I just, I remember it when I was a kid. Uh, I remember it was one of those, like, playground films that people would talk about. Like, have you seen this? Really? Like, yeah, like, you know, the same as, like, Evil Dead 2 or something. People were like, <laughs> this film about these lines and it really happened. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just always really stuck with me. And I finally got around to seeing it uh, as an almost adult because I didn't watch any horror until I was about 16. Oh, same. Like, like yeah. Mitch. Yeah. 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 And uh, it, it was one of the first, like, well, it's sort of, it's not really a horror, but one of the first kind of scary films that mm-hmm. I saw. And uh, I just thought it was cracking. Like just total African epic with, Lions and Michael Douglas. We could go on it talking about Michael Douglas. <laughs> yeah. So, first watch, Mitch? It was the first watch for me as well. Yeah. Uh, unsurprisingly. Uh, I, in fact, I had never even heard of this film until uh, really? you. No. Yeah. No. Until you brought it to the table. What I do know now, though, is that it is both an Oscar winner and a Razzie nominee. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it won the Oscar for best sound editing. It did. Yes, it did. Uh, well earned. <laughs> and um, and um, a worst actor nominee for uh, nomination for Val Kilmer. Also well earned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty fair across the board. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, neither of those things are a million miles off the mark for me. That really does reflect it's uh, 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's yeah. most divisive of like scores. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, yeah. Also directed by Stephen Hopkins, who directed Predator 2 and Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child, Child yeah. the worst of the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, who apparently also has some opinions about this film. <laughs> he does, he's not a fan. <laughs> so, Graham, you've listened to a few episodes before, I believe, yes. uh, so you might know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that there is a better than average chance that some people will be listening and uh, who haven't heard, or haven't seen, should I say, The Ghost in the Darkness. No, it's only you. No, it's just me. Um, so, uh, we've put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in. Are you ready to give us your best 30-second synopsis of The Ghost in the Darkness? Yeah, my only caveat is I don't remember character names. So it's That's fine. It's, um, it's 30 seconds, man. There's no time for character names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, you good to go? Yep. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so Val Kilmer is a hotshot uh, bridge builder back in the late 1800s. And uh, it's a time of, like, colonization in Africa. Tom Wilkinson needs a bridge built and he needs it built fast. So he gets Val Kilmer to go 
down to Kenya to build this bridge that's going to help them take over the continent. Meanwhile, there are two man-eating lions uh, that are disrupting things, and it's down to Val Kilmer to sort out. Okay. Tom needs a bridge and he needs it now, damn it. That was a lot of scene setting and an absolute bullet train for the second and third act. Yeah, I almost uh, glossed over the lions there. I forgot they were part of it. It's, like, it's mostly a film about the bureaucracy of bridge building. As there is a fair amount of that. Um, I think we should. I think we should just jump straight into this. this I watched this with the subtitles on, as I always do. Yeah. Um, which brought a couple of a couple of really good moments, which I'll get into. Um, but one subtitle that I did have to get used to: lion growls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. London, eighteen ninety eight. As we're saying to begin with, and uh, immediately we know there's one survivor, Samuel. Yeah, and you know that because he is the man responsible for the majority, but not all of the voiceover, of the voiceover narration. Yeah, sporadic narrator. Is there another? I didn't. Is there another narrator? Who, who else narrates? Well, uh, we, we hear Val Kilmer's in a monologue as he writes a lot of letters. Oh yes, and course, I believe Emily Mortimer's as she oh, yeah. maybe replies. Yeah. Yep, definitely. In a style not dissimilar, Mitch, to Bram Stoker's Dracula, a favorite of yours. <laughs> don't you fucking stare. <laughs> Is that? Do you not like Bram Stoker's Dracula? Uh, no, particularly no. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I mean, it's like, terrible, but it's also a masterpiece. Z- 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 <laughs> genuinely, like, I spoke about the fact that I didn't like that once, and I've taken fucking nothing but powers for it since. And it was weeks and weeks ago, honestly. Um, yeah, we are introduced here uh, in voiceover by Samuel to uh, John Patterson, played here by Val Kilmer. Yeah, I think. Uh... I will say at this juncture that I've done bad Irish accents before, if you remember back to Rawhead Rex. Yes. Um, I'll do them again, mm-hmm. but they still won't be as bad as Val Kilmer's. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something to behold. That's <laughs> <laughs> a way of putting it. So yeah, he enters this kind of very ornate room, meets uh, Robert Beaumont, a one-dimensionally evil Tom Wilkinson. <laughs> <laughs> He's so evil. It's hilarious. It's, that is not a real person. This is like from what all, all intents and purposes looks like an Oscar grab biopic historical epic mm-hmm. and you have Dick Dastardly <laughs> the, main, <laughs> the main antagonist absolutely it's so funny it's just like it's not It's not just like he's occasionally comes off a little bit merciless or like a little bit blunt or something like that it's just like I kind of feel like every line of dialogue is just stuffed with country <laughs> country for the highest degree <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, at this point, I'm not gonna lie. Like from very early on, I was getting pretty nervy about having to choke down a hundred and uh, about a hundred minutes of um, uh, Val Kilmer's Irish accent. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That you kind of set settle into it though. You know what? You kind of do. Right? I disagree. <laughs> so, like, like I, I kind of found that I did. Like, um, and I don't know. Maybe it's because it seems like as the film progresses, he says less. Yeah, I, I keep on feeling there's never enough of a chunk of dialogue to really get like into the meaty awfulness of his Irish accent. I found that more often than not it had lapsed so badly that it was just kind of him talking in an American accent. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wasn't really, there was moments where I wasn't bothered because he didn't seem at all to be putting on an Irish <laughs> yeah, accent. I know I just said that I was nervous at this point about having to watch him do an Irish accent for however long, but I at this point wasn't sure it was an Irish accent. Like I have written yeah. British accent in my notes. <laughs> It is an, an accent. Yes, it's, 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 it's certainly an accent. I can confirm that much. It's but, a choice. But you're right, his, uh, his dialogue kind of falls by the wayside when Michael Douglas arrives because he has all the lines. Like, he has everything to say any minute that he's on camera. He's constantly talking. I, I actually 
fairly convinced Michael Douglas rewrote all his own lines. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of surprised, though, again, on rewatch, just how late he comes into it. I don't know if that's getting ahead of ourselves, but... No, no, no. I mean, he's on the poster. So... <laughs> no. <laughs> so... I'm not, and I'm not afraid of spoilers or anything. No, like... no, no, no. But, uh, yeah, it's like probably halfway through the film before he, he appears. Uh, the bridge uh, the Tom... I was going to say Hiddleston, but uh, I mean Wilkinson. That one, would be something in 1996. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> once built. Um, it's with a view to ending slavery and uh, saving Africa. From the Africans. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that raised an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm scared about making it through this podcast without getting cancelled. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, like, I'm, I just thought that a few times at things I've said. I mean, I mean, like, ultimately, not enough people listen for that to be a live concern. <laughs> Only takes one, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, yeah, that was that was the first of a couple of times where I kind of like kind of cocked my head slightly and was like, mm. <laughs> but yes, yeah, um, he wants a bridge built across the River Tsavo in five months, and uh, it's time sensitive, but it's also time sensitive for John Patterson. Well, he's a man who's never missed a deadline. There's never been a bridge that he didn't build on time. <laughs> yeah, I believe yeah. is what he said. <laughs> Incredibly proud of that. He's a maverick, but damn it, he gets he gets, he gets things done. <laughs> also has frosted tips, which is uh, yeah. What is up with that? <laughs> which is weird. Yeah, that felt like a wee bit of an anachronism for 1898 for me. <laughs> do you think it was like an attempt at sort of like sun bleached hair, but it just yes. yeah, it looks like he's from NSYNC or something. I do, but that also might be part of me <laughs> yes. that thinks that. Val Kilmer rocked up with that hair and they asked him to change it and he said no. He does look a bit like he plays bass in an 1890s new metal band. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so he's in, he's in Tom Wilkinson's employ, Robert Beaumont, should I yeah. say. Um, he's going to get this bridge built, damn it, and he's going to do it in five months and he's going to have to do it in five months because his wife Helena has got a kid on the way. Yeah, I know mm. how he feels. Things escalate. Things move at quite a speed. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm only tangential to all of this, and it's, I feel like that's gone in very quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm mean, not even the one who's about to be fathering a child. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Emily Mortimer playing Helena here, not given a great amount to do, but I think she's generally pretty good, and I think that she's doing pretty good work here with what, with what she has to do. I, I feel she's like woefully underused. I love yeah. her and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I like her too. Yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, I think I think this is no exception. I think it's really, I, I do think it's kind of funny when uh, you see John uh, Valcomer going outside and them having the conversation afterwards and talking about how the meeting's gone really well and he was shivered with praise and all this. And Tom Wilkinson in the actual meeting was like, uh, if you don't build this bridge in five months, you are fucked. Yeah. You'll never work in this town again. No one will ever come at you for a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> when he's getting ready to go to Africa, he leaves in slow motion and I hate... Um, uh, sure. I, I, <laughs> But is that like rubbish? Uh, they forgot to, or like didn't realize they wanted to film it in slow motion, so it's just done at like twenty four frames a second, and end up slowed it down that horrible like post production way. <laughs> it's absolutely excruciating. As he like walks into the the steam of a, an oncoming train. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, I I hate every instance of slow motion in this film. <laughs> uh, just precisely for that reason, though. Yeah. I love the fact there's like such a passage of time. He's like, well, that's me off to Africa, and then literally the next second, he's like, well, here I am in Africa. <laughs> no, you know he's going to be in Africa in the next scene because it's heralded by jungle drum <laughs> you're, like, oh. you're like oh the next cut is going to, oh and we're in Mombasa <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, meets Angus Starling here, who quickly establishes himself as the comic relief. I think. Plus, he's Scottish. Yeah. yeah. Although I was quite relieved as uh, 
with some of the terrible put upon Scottish accents we've been forced into in the last couple of weeks. There's uh, Peaky Blinders. Oh, I oh, guys, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the worst Glasgow accent ever. And then Eddie Izzard and Dark Crystal doing like right. a terrible yeah. Scottish yeah. accent. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it bad? It's, it's, it's not the best Scottish right. accent you'll yeah. hear. But Val Kilmer is here dressed like a villain from Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> you see, like it was. We're talking about accent inconsistency, and just realizing in my notes, but this was this was me naively watching the first quarter an hour of this at twenty past six yesterday morning, and I have written that he goes briefly Irish. <laughs> so I, was, I, I was still piecing together where he was from wait so we're 10 or 15 minutes into the film by this point and you've just realised that he might be Irish yeah cool yeah uh, I, don't, I don't know if that says more about me or him to be fair what I really like here is that uh, Angus says look we've booked the best seat on the train and uh, it turns out it's a bench that's strapped to the front of a train I really like that I thought it was like such a neat kind of idea like plus uh, save them money in there having to do like a train set or something sure. like that. <laughs> to, to save the money in the 45 million dollar budget for a train set. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they said the best seat in the train, but um, how many bugs are they getting in their face? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, and not not talking like, you know, small Scottish bugs. This is going to be You're massive talking... fucking flying cigars. Uh, like <laughs> beetles, it's like getting hit in the face with a baseball. <laughs> <laughs> but also... Not convenient for getting to the bar car. Or the toilet. Sure. That's sure. true. And I'm sure both of those facilities were superb on this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we also meet Samuel here, who is, I would say, I think it's fair to say, not of the most optimistic disposition. He does, within the first few minutes of meeting, everyone describes Savo as the worst place in the world. <laughs> but we, before this, we learn, I don't know if this is a fact, I haven't actually looked it up, that hippos fart out their mouths. Uh, yeah. That up? sounded like so, like so made up. Does yeah. anyone fact check this? Uh, no. no. Someone no, can. No, no. But what I can tell you is that hippos have pink sweat and pink milk. Interesting. Um, uh, hippos fart through their mouths because their stomachs are at the front of their bodies. It also means that hippo sounds are actually farting sounds. Wow. Wait, hold on. They, they fart out their mouths because their stomachs are closer to the front of their bodies apparently so so they burp right i mean i mean i guess yeah what, what is what is the difference between a burp and a fart like a burp comes from your stomach right i mean like yeah i mean like if, that, if that's the direction it's going in it's a burp right? it's really like a tail of two holes <laughs> you know what guys i'm really glad we followed through on that one you don't want to follow through if you're fart the minute i said the fucking minute i said that um <laughs> Val Kilmer here for about the third or fourth time says he's always wanted to visit Africa. <laughs> this is a dream come true. Uh, we're off to the hospital here as well to meet Dr. David Hawthorne, straight-talking chief of medicine and apparent rival of Angus. And played by Bernard Hill, who's fucking great. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Uh, I, another one I would say potentially underused here. Yeah. At least he gets some kind of good meaty lines and uh, like Emily Mortimer is just playing the uh, wife on the telephone role. Just, just so, Aye, so, so frustrating to see. There is a, yeah, there is there is some attempt made yeah. to, to to get the use of Aaron Hill for as much screen time as he has. Yeah. Um yeah, file under foreshadowing here. It's mentioned in passing that an orderly's been attacked by a lion. We we see him. We see him. Uh, we also, oh yeah, he's dragged into shot, isn't he? Uh, we yeah. also learned that he was saved by a donkey. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. Oh, I don't know two days ago. That. I don't know if the donkey sacrificed itself to save him or if he pushed the donkey in the lion's path. <laughs> The donkey saving the orderly from the lion's attack is the film that I want to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This year from DreamWorks. (laughs) 
Jesus fucking Christ. Um, uh, in the next scene, when they're kind of when they go hunting, I cannot believe that for the first of I believe two instances in this film, I got successfully jump scared by a fucking owl. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. When was our time? What? Um, I, I got, uh, actually, it happened so fast I couldn't tell it was an owl or a bird, but it's during the kind what? of stake. Wait, hang on. An owl's a bird. Oh, well, you know what I mean? <laughs> if it was an owl on a different bird, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's in the third act when they do the kind of stake out the baiting bit at the end. Uh, okay. There's another bit there. But like when it happened again, I was like, you fucking owly cunt. <laughs> <laughs> you spinny headed fuck. <laughs> <laughs> always, always two steps ahead. <laughs> crafty bastard <laughs> um, so uh, yeah John kills a lion in this sequence which I think is the first act of aggression in the human versus lion battle that ensues for the rest of the film yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, Angus has been a typical Moni Scott he's got sore balls for sitting on a branch <laughs> but yeah you're right Mitch uh, Val kills it immediately I'm not a fan of hunting no same same yeah I feel kind of bad for the lion in this instance yeah the, the, the guy was barely harmed no, um, I think all he's actually done is uh, he's ignited the flames of. Absolutely, this is lighting the blue touch paper of the uh, of the, uh, the war- of the warfare to come. <laughs> yeah, I mean, while we're getting into it, this is one of the two main, really problematic keystones of the of the film that makes his route for a uh, hunting like sure. of the most majestic of animals, <laughs> and secondly, oppression <laughs> of uh, people that are from different countries. Sure. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I actually think that like it now might be a good time to address that because that's <laughs> like, that a weird thing that we're expected to do. Yeah. <laughs> also, if but here I am doing it anyway. <laughs> if you're a bit saddened by the, the death of this lion, which, I mean, is understandable, there's a little bit of levity and Angus falling out of a tree. Uh, yes, that kind, of, that kind of feels like it should be a comfy best slide whistle <laughs> um but yeah uh so i actually think that like because uh, it's, it's at this point you know like um like they uh john and angus and uh mahina the foreman who we meet kind of briefly we'll get into how brief that is later but um yeah they start making kind of plans it becomes a, like even more apparent at this point i think that angus is a comic relief then we have a good old chronology hop i do love them seven weeks Yep, seven mm-hmm. weeks uh, with a head, a schedule, and the, the bridge build. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, M- making making great time. Graham, to touch on what you just said about how uh, this film kind of makes you um, makes you kind of root for both hunters and indeed the act of hunting. I think that like when John goes out and kind of kills that lion, you could, there's an argument to be made that it's out of this, it's out of necessity, and you're gonna be like, oh, you know, it's like it's an unpleasant thing, but you know, like many people's lives are at risk. This is like a very immediate threat and stuff, and it's like, yeah, we could all kind of look back on that as a regrettable but necessary thing whereas like um at this point samuel's like here's a necklace i made from the claws of your vanquished foe and i was like oh maybe not (laughs) maybe maybe everyone's just fine with it actually he's an instant hero yeah apparently to have killed a lion is like a really cool thing amongst everyone around him oh yeah yeah. is it mahina yeah as well like reveals that he has killed a lion with his bare hands yes that's that's actually i think that's a really good exchange writing wise yeah, when he's yeah, like, "I've like, killed a lion," and it's like, "Oh, how many shots did you take?" And he's like, "I use my hands." See, that's <laughs> it's like it's a cracking mic drop. It's, it's really good. It's like, I think Mahina is just really underused in this film. He's such a good character, and he's clearly just set up to push the stakes of sure, uh, you know sure. this man who can kill a lion with his bare hands has been off by this demon lion. 
He also has an incredible face. <laughs> By Mecha yeah. Lion. He really does. Yeah, he yeah. has an incredible face. Face yeah. for cinema, definitely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Looks like he's out of a Leone film or something. Abs- uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think, like, but John gets, John kind of bigs up Mahina in a letter to uh, Helena at this point, and literally as he's doing that, Mahina is dragged off and mauled by a lion. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I was thinking, though? I, I was thinking that's how all hunting should be done. By ha- If you're wanting to kill an animal, you should fight it even the odds <laughs> yeah you should fight it to the death gonna be a quick death pretty much a losing battle you can have a stick you yeah, nothing else is not fair um i really like the fact that i um i did a google at this point because um at one point like around the time that mahina dies val kilmer's kind of like chilling out in his tent john patterson's chilling out in his tent um and just in case we weren't sure that he was irish um they have him singing the irish country standard the widow of donaghy <laughs> oh is that what it is I've yes written, i've written here Val's keen to kill more lions, and he does this while singing Irish ditties up a tree. Uh, the lyrics appear to be Tura Tura Lee, and I've written, is this come on Eileen? It's the widow of Donna D, I believe. Right, um, okay. Because for some reason, at like, yeah, at like half past six in the morning, I thought it was necessary to pause the film and Google that. Oh, Absolutely wow. necessary. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I... I'm actually a little bit disappointed. It's not one of those weird anachronisms like yeah. American <laughs> Horror Story tried to do where they were putting like David Bowie songs in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> was, was it around this point? I can't remember. It might have been the, the earlier death, but uh, one of my favourite lines of the film, I've got it written down here. What the lion must have done is lick his skin off so he could drink his blood. I think that is this one. That's this one. That's Mahina. Yeah. What? And, what? His skin, and his skin licked off. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I want to go. <laughs> uh, things are kind of hitting a snag though one a lion has claimed another victim which is never great for morale but also a malaria up, uh, outbreak has slowed production so sure. everything's sure. pretty much going to shit I really like the um, I really like the character of Abdullah I mm. Mm. Thoughts, <laughs> uh, yeah, after you. <laughs> like me and Andy have obviously had an impasse here. Moments, Castle decided. Okay, let's sell this. He's he's clearly there to serve a purpose of just he is the voice of dissent, which is just summing up his entire like workforce in one man, and it feels just very plotty. It is quite plotty, I suppose. True. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate him for it though. Like I said, like I, I um, he also he also gets a dig in about white saviorism here as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I wrote that one down as well. Uh, what was it? Uh, you're white, you can do anything. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> that's the thesis of the film. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, but no. Patterson takes some kind of swift and decisive action around uh, this point. I I think that this is the point where I felt like I was fighting the hardest with Irish accent because I think that this is the point where it's like most talky. And I think that, like you're hearing the most from him. Right. And I think that was the point where I was just like, "Fucking hell, man! Is this going to be this for another hour?" But like, uh, obviously, it kind of thins out a little bit. But I think that like, I this is the point where I was brawling hardest with Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Wilkinson makes a reappearance here, also throwing himself into the cunt soup with Abdullah. Absolutely. Um, and uh, he, I think, is around about this point where he's like, "I told you you'd hate me." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I felt like he was talking directly to me at that point. <laughs> Um, another letter check in from home at yeah. this point uh, from okay. Helena who is uh, kind of talking about just generally how things are going apparently resolutely opposed to having a daughter <laughs> yeah she can tell she can tell as a boy yeah, she's got a feeling but yeah she's, she's always kind of like you'll note my extreme confidence every time she refers to their unborn child as a he do they have a boy yeah, yeah I was going to say I don't think they don't reveal that at the end do they I don't know it has the potato head of a boy <laughs> I, mean, I'm sorry, I, can't, I, can't. <laughs> I do have a response to that. Says the man about to have a son. That is that is how the doctors tell when a when a child is born. Yeah, potato head. By the way, <laughs> <I'm just> born. <laughs> 
I can see that. <laughs> it's a boy. Congratulations. <laughs> it's a bouncing, tatty heated boy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, there's been a massive uptick in deaths here. I believe the death count, or the body count, rather, I should say, is around about 30. Yeah, it's um, it's it's, it's racking up. Um, Also, like because um, we're, we're, we're muddling the timeline just slightly. Sorry, man. But, no, it's, it's okay. This, yeah, it's like... <laughs> It's my one job. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Um, also, at this point, we lose Angus. Um, and despite the fact that we are watching what is effectively a historical horror film, I continue to be stunned every time anyone dies before the third act in anything. Despite the f- like, I really should be used to it by now. I mean, also, just as you said, this this is a historical film. It's based on real events. How the fuck did, like, 30 people die? Honestly, like, is in the course of how many, however many weeks... How did that happen? The lions are running. <laughs> it's two lions. Yeah, the lions are oh. running rough, roughshod. Absolutely. For these people. Really, seriously, they are like. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's absolutely baffling how this happened. I actually feel now you've mentioned it, I feel extremely like disappointed and hard done by that. That isn't shown to us in a montage. <laughs> <laughs> but just, just loads of lion, <laughs> red and toothing claw. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally, with like the baby elephant walk playing on an organ. <laughs> Tell you what else is a mystery. How Val Kilmer keeps his whites so dazzling white. <laughs> He's cutting about here like the man from Del Monte. Yes, looking yeah. well. That's <laughs> true. But yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think that we should cheat past the fact that um, there's a lion attack in broad daylight and the casualty of this is uh, is Angus. Uh, good night, sweet prince. <laughs> Poor old Angus. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that the uh, the scene in the media in the media aftermath of Angus's death is uh, fantastic. When uh, Angus dies, uh, Patterson closes his eyes and quotes again. Necessary Google for me for some reason. Uh, closes his eyes and quotes Daniel six twenty two. For fuck's sake! <laughs> yeah. did, you, did you Google that as well, or was that just from your days in the seminary? <laughs> <laughs> as tragic as uh, Angus's death is. Is so heavily foreshadowed in the same way that Mahina's was that it is in no way a surprise. Oh, absolutely not. No, no. Uh, but him's uh, talking about um, oh, he loves he loves the work and uh, he's like finally he's turned into a man's man because he's cut his hands. Not you know when you do a job so badly that you cut your hands, that's what makes you a man. Yeah. <laughs> and then like that sweet, sweet incompetence. Yeah. And no lion's ever gonna kill me. <laughs> I sure hope this blood doesn't attract anything in the night. <laughs> I'm only three days from retirement. <laughs> when I get home, I'm going to build a church in my village. Then I'm going to go marry my best gal. <laughs> well, it's off to bed for me. <laughs> I'll, I'll be right back in the morning. Sure hope nothing unpleasant happens between now and then. You mentioned a montage, but there is one. Uh, yeah, no, 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 not, a, not a crewman onslaught montage, but there is one. Yeah, there is a montage of people dying. Is there? Is there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got it written here. What? More letters being written as people scream, dying at the claws of lions. I mentioned this oh, before. No, he's sitting writing, and uh, you can just hear screams in the background. Right. I, I mentioned this before we started recording that um, I like this film so much that I, I didn't take that many notes because I kept on just getting whisked away on on the the crest of the wave of the story, just <laughs> absolutely loving it and forgetting to actually pay attention to the. the <laughs> the subtle techniques of the of the film like I mean, like hey you chose it man you enjoy it you know <laughs> also there are no subtle things in this film <laughs> at all <laughs> it's fairly blunt yeah, that's fair, yeah. least of all the first plan that they come up with is this, um, is when this... Val Kilmer unveils his air quotes contraption 
which appears to be a train car with men in it. I um I don't think that there is a great deal wrong with this plan in theory. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, the only the only way the the lions survive this plan is through editing. <laughs> I mean, they're they're literally like three feet from from the people with guns, and it's edited in a way that makes it look really confusing. The cameras all over the place, and the lions are like jumping about, and they can't hit them because they keep on hitting the beams, but. Really, like, if you had, like, a wide shot in this scene and you saw these fucking idiots <laughs> <laughs> wildly swinging their guns about, it'd be like, the contraption should have worked. This is I, one of my favourite moments in the film. The ineptitude on show is it's quite head-spinningly funny. Is, these men are murderers. It's pointed in the scene <laughs> yeah, before. Right. These, these men are aspiring murderers. The no, they, they the are murderers. He says that's good or something, is it? Like, you men are murderers. Yeah, I, th- I think this is really funny. Also, this is just like uh, something that the subtitles threw up that I think is really, really funny as well. Uh, not the film's fault at all. But like, um, see when this kicks off. You know, like when... when uh, so obviously the lions get trapped and the three guys who are standing there are expected to now just shoot the lion to shit and that'll be the end of it. Literally, um, <laughs> someone, someone screams and it's literally just a guy going, ah! But the subtitle says, man screams in foreign language. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God, I wonder what he was saying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this plan goes to shit so fast. Like the car goes on fire with him. It. Like, it's, it's some Benny Hill shit. Like, <laughs> also, it seems that the lion's roar is so loud that it makes a man's ears bleed. He's like. <laughs> This is absolute fucking chaos. However, what I would say is though, like genuinely, I don't like the plan is still a good plan. The fact, the fact, the fact that your three hired guns were all incapable of shooting a large target at point blank range is not John Patterson's fault. Okay, it might be his fault, but like, but the plan in theory is sound. There's an amazing Simpsons joke that calls on this like very trope writing where. Uh, they're trying to like get Maggie out of the bathroom, and they use they're like trying to use a wire in the the lock, and it doesn't work. And then they go through this wacky montage of trying other things, and then like it just turns out Lisa opens the door, and she's like, "I used the wire again. I don't know why we only tried that once." <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same thing with the contraption. Like, Give it another go because it sounds like <laughs> I'm sure with practice you'll you'll kill the lions. I obviously that's what I kept thinking about it. I was I was like this this like this this wasn't a plan that failed because of the plan. It failed because of human error. I was like, if you tried this again, it would probably work. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to say at this juncture that uh, our HQ has some works going on nearby. Uh, they may well register, I would be amazed if they don't, but they seem quite pointed <laughs> in their attempts to shut us up. Yeah, this, this won't be silence. This, this, this started off as incidental and is now starting to feel increasingly like an act of aggression. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a rabble ensues shortly after this. I mean, it makes sense. I think it's fair to say that the work crew have had enough. Yep, reasonable. Um, they're dropping by the dozens, it seems. Yeah, yeah, at the hands, at the hands of these lions. Um, the hands. At the, yeah. <laughs> the opposable uh, thumbs of these that's, lions. That's what makes them so dangerous. <laughs> these lions are not like lions. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the middle of all this, Abdullah ends, ends up with a gun to his head, and that gun is wielded by Charles Remington, played here by Michael Douglas, which I think marks a massive gear shift in tone for the film. 
Yes, Michael Douglas turns up here. Michael Douglas, producer, and uh, inserting himself into the film in the role of Charles Remington because he wasn't meant to play this part. He just decided, I'm doing this. And he just seems to have walked straight off of playing Jack Colton in Romance in the Stone. Now, before we hit record on this, you two were both talking about the fact that there is like there are stories attached to Michael Douglas on set here and his involvement in this. I don't know anything about this, so mm-hmm. I feel like this may be a reasonable juncture to introduce that. Well, it's quite well known that director Stephen Hopkins does not particularly like the version of Ghost in the Darkness that is considered, I guess, the most seen version. Okay. Aside from Michael Douglas putting himself in this role, um, and like I say, I'm pretty sure writing a lot of it to suit himself. Okay. He also had the film recut. Shit, really? And removed 45 minutes, which is why later on in the film, when Val Kilmer turns up covered in blood, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that was Michael Douglas's decision, and I think he caused a lot of uh, unpleasantness when it didn't uh, when it didn't need to be. I see. Okay. So, do we know anything about what got cut or why? Little bits. I believe Michael Douglas, uh, using producer privilege, arranged to have forty-five minutes of film cut to give himself more screen time. <laughs> Disappointing, but not surprising. No. <laughs> yeah. Fair assessment. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Do you remember he was a sex addict and then he said that he got <gasps> throat cancer from giving too much oral sex? So he did. Oh my god. It's definitely the Michael Douglas story that we wanted to dwell on this week. <laughs> <laughs> just said, remember, just a, a, a cautionary tale for everybody out there. Like, just uh, everything in moderation. In conjunction with the. Uh watching the ghost in the darkness this week i also rewatched the 1999 the haunting oh, which aye. stars catherine zeta jones oh aye. so seeing the two of them at around about the same time i i'm still yeah really confused about that whole thing <laughs> in here though he's arrived as... <laughs> um he's arrived as charles remington he's arrived with the uh, maasai tribe yeah, 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 yeah. To yeah. Uh, to 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 kill the lions. Um, yeah, I think that I think that the film tonally and kind of atmospherically turns on an absolute dime the minute that he shows up. Yeah, and plus there's forty dead now at least. I do like how you get a, a more or less a consistent running total throughout the film. They really do keep you up to up to date. As as though like oh, now it's fifty. Oh my god, it's I wish there was really just like a little counter in the corner. <laughs> Line kill count. <laughs> like, Hot shots part two. <laughs> 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 four days since last accident <laughs> um i expected remington to when he comes into this i kind of expected that character to be more antagonistic as opposed mm. to just kind of being this kind of like charismatic guy who pretty much gets on board and is mostly a team player like see when he turns when he turns up and he's being kind of like really brash to begin with i was like ah he's gonna rattle everyone's cages and as he turned <laughs> up and then he turned up and he was like hey guys how can i be useful he's really nice he's yeah. just like a sweet guy who likes to murder animals <laughs> yeah, like i mean apart from the whole animal killing thing he's just pretty sound yeah. well he definitely loves killing animals in fact he makes that his sole ambition he says look i'll kill the lions you build your bridge i'll also play with my hair because he spends a lot of the early kind of his screen time just running his hands through either his wig or his long luscious locks i believe it's probably a wig but yeah that's basically him and he demands a new hospital be built overnight yeah seems like a power move yeah kind of stupid as well <laughs> I, do, I don't know if this is like a good juncture to to talk about how useless uh remington actually is as a character it's terrible. <laughs> when you think about the things that he accomplishes in this film so he, he he turns up with all these maasai who he gets them to pay them like five heads of cattle i think is what they say i believe so yeah yeah and then uh they fuck off the next day without having done anything <laughs> so yeah he robs he robs them of uh five heads of cattle 
Uh, then he implores him to buy uh, or make a new hospital. Um, so they move from the safety of this building into a tent. And he's like, they'll be safer in the tent. Uh, <laughs> that night, <laughs> every single member of the staff every single patient in that hospital is murdered by the lions um so that was that was a good idea there uh, it, it seems again like they have a plan on the surface of it seems quite sound they know that the lions are attracted to the old hospital because of the kind of pervasive smell of death that hung about it <laughs> so they decide right what we'll do is we'll pretty much paint it in blood and decorate it in meat and they think right so we'll, we'll hold up here we'll wait for the lions and then we'll kill them you're not going to fool these lions that quickly not the ghost and the darkness no no because they decide as you rightly said to attack the the hospital tent <laughs> the lions burn it down <laughs> and they, they kill well, many 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 malaria victims. everyone is in there including the doctor the only doctor of the camp yeah, I, I actually, I, I think that like, so yeah, just just, just to ground this chronology-wise. It's a lion uh, lampoon. It's, it, it's a, <laughs> it really is. No, like, um, yeah, their, their master plan of kind of hiding in the whole, uh, in the old hospital, locking themselves in and kind of shooting at them as they, once they're kind of, uh, once they're kind of lured, backfires horribly. They attack the tent, which as you say, it seems like a, in the, with the benefit of hindsight, maybe a strange place to relocate literally everybody. Um, when they attack that tent and start, um, start kind of going for people and start mauling people, that sequence is absolute fucking chaos and I love it. It's so much fun. It's so good. It's like uh, the raptor scene in The Lost World. It's <laughs> exactly in, like that. The, the tall grass is just people getting absolutely massacred. Yeah, it's 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 consider, considering it is just that. It's like a bunch of people getting massacred by lions. It's incredibly satisfying to watch with Wold. Have you ever seen the film Roar? Yes. I have not. But, you know, oh my god. Yeah. Uh, Roar is a film about Tippi Hedren and her husband and their daughter, Melanie Griffith. Uh, who for a long time lived with many, many, many large, very vicious cats. So it's basically them going about their business with all these lions and stuff around their house and them being mauled by lions and the crew being mauled by lions. It's an extremely troubling film. Yeah, I've never been so simultaneously bored and on the edge of my seat ever. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's fucking tedious because like there's no plot to speak of. No, no. But it's also just extremely nerve-wracking because there's these fucking real lions are attacking people in the film it's like a fucking snuff film (laughs) (laughs) like melanie griffith had to have reconstructive surgery in her face fucking hell (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah many many people die here um weirdly actually in a film that is very heavy on statistics i don't think we ever get a final number but um because i feel like this probably didn't happen (laughs) <laughs> right like it's unlikely that this was an actual true fact from the, the original story are, are you suggesting that some <laughs> creative license was taken with it? <laughs> maybe just a pinch <laughs> yeah un- unlike uh, roar though we get caesar and bongo acting their hearts out here yeah oh, caesar and bongo are doing some great work here and the animatronic lion head gets to do a fair amount as well a plus plus just on a stair, <laughs> get a stick it get a there we go and bite them in the neck I think I read in the trivia that there's very little animatronics used in the film, and it is no. I believe uh, I believe there was only one animatronic lion head that that did a lot of the close up stuff, but they're obviously substituting uh, kind of like antelopes and man's clothes uh, quite a lot of the time for uh, <laughs> shots of the lions very much eating meat. I gotta say, like apart from a few kind of notable shots, like the green screen and the train, and then there's like some kind of full body shots of the lions attacking people. Yeah. Mm-hmm like the effects hold up 
really well mm-hmm. i yeah. think like especially the scenes like this where obviously like clever you said just like framing and editing and that and yeah it just it looks like a real line attack and I, I, I think it mostly holds. Yeah. <laughs> all right, no contention there. Well, all right. <laughs> I'm glad we got some consensus on that point. Um, yeah, the crew, understandably, are a little bit rattled. The remaining surviving crew, they're out there on the first thing smoking, which is exactly why I would do. Which uh, is a train. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, very literally. I... Uh, but yeah, Val's alone. Uh, he's got the air of a defeated man. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah, and a man who's not going to make that deadline. Yeah, that five-month deadline is disappearing from view. Pretty His right. boss is going to be so mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Wilkinson's going to be furious. <laughs> I think that the scene... We'll see Tom Wilkinson again. Oh, it's, it, yeah, he's gone, isn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one less threat, I suppose. Yeah. At this point in the film. I wonder if he's part of that 45 minutes. Oh, maybe. Oh, it could be. Yeah. 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 That would make yeah. sense, yeah, yeah, because he's gone very abruptly. That's fair. I think that see, um, just in terms of kind of like just, I think a scene that's really easy to watch and a scene that is like kind of really nicely acted. I think that the scene after everyone's gone, and um, you've got Remington kind of commiserating with Patterson. Sure, mm-hmm. I really like that. I think that, like it's it's only about like I mean like a minute or two or something, but I think that like that I think that they're both kind of doing some of the best work in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Then they come up with a do or die plan. Is this is this his like kind of weird clothes horse type idea, or he's like that's coming up shortly. This is the one where they go to the cave. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and we learn a lot more about what the lions have been up to. Also, don't think this happened. Probably not. Um, Certainly not to the extent that we see. But when they go into the lions, then they find a massive pile of neatly stacked bones. Where did the lions sleep? I mean, did they actually sleep on the pile of bones? The entire floor of the cave is covered in them. There's no fucking room to sleep on anything else. <laughs> at this point as well, this is when Remington says that this is like no lions I've ever seen before. They're doing this for fun. They're doing it for pleasure. This isn't for food. This isn't about food to them. And yet, all of the bones are picked clean. And bleached by the bright light of the cave. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right though. But if they're not doing it for sustenance, they certainly are still eating it all. <laughs> yeah. okay, I mean, like that is still true. Well, that brings me on to some science. Oh. No. I, don't, I don't think any of us expected him to say that. <laughs> I did a bit of reading into the, the real story of the, the Savile lines. Okay. I read, uh, and obviously my grasp of science isn't, isn't the best, so I fully expect some blowback on this. Okay. Um, but uh, using science and bones... Uh, <laughs> a strong start. Continue. More specifically, uh, the collagen within the bones uh, and comparing the two Savile lines to non-people-eating lines. Okay. With <laughs> you so far. Right. In the space of nine months, they estimate that one of the lions ate ten and a half people. Okay. And the other lion ate 24.2 people. Wow. Point two. Point two. That's presumably a foot and a shin. <laughs> Granted, the science there was a bit sugarly, but I, I thought it was an interesting statistic. Well, that one, one lion was way more of a gannet than the other. Cool I'd... names, though. Yeah. Well, Pretty cool names. Oh, yeah, that goes to the right. Yeah, I'd be strong. like, you're Lenny and you're... <laughs> Paul. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be quite as terrifying if they were Caesar and Bongo. <laughs> yeah. Especially Bongo. The, the Maasai have called them... <laughs> Caesar and Bongo. <laughs> <laughs> Lenny and Carl. <laughs> um, I wrote down at this point, as we're kind of squaring up for what's about to be effectively the final showdown, uh, or kind of getting there, um, I have written down, I am so weirdly riveted. Why weirdly? <laughs> <laughs> Thumbs doing his job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't think I was expecting to have um, so many of my boxes ticked at this point, but here we are. 
yeah, um, this is when you were, you were what you were talking about, Graham, with the uh, big black and decker workbench thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. That, uh, Val Kilmer decides to climb up and hide, and also we learn that lions don't like the sound of a screeching baboon. Mm-hmm. Right. So two problems there, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, first off, uh, yeah, this line, uh, they've gotten used to us in trees. So, wh- how is this different from a tree other than it's man-made? I mean, it still functions exactly the same way a tree would, especially compared, like, from a lion's perspective. It's just going to look like a weird tree. Yep. I, <laughs> also, yeah, I would also hazard that you are far more camouflaged and protected in the branches of a tree than exposed on the top of this bizarre gantry that yeah. they've cobbled together. Totally, and it like more secure as well. I mean, there's no back or there's nothing to hold on to. It's just the seat of this like giant platform. Yep. Um, and then secondly, as you pointed out, they say that lions hate the sound of a baboon. So if they're trying to draw lions out, then why do they tie a baboon to the bottom of the post? Oh yeah, if it's if, it, if it's the thing that they hate the most. Yeah, like would that not keep them away? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that should be in the plan. They should have like surrounded the camp with a wall of buildings. <laughs> <laughs> just like when they're trying when they're trying to negotiate to get soldiers off Tom Wilkinson, it's like can we get soldiers to protect the camp? And it's like no, it's like fine. Can we have fifty thousand baboons? Uh, <laughs> and I say a lot of the show. By the way, that's maybe more dangerous. A baboon will eat your genitals. Damn. And face and genitals. Yeah, face and genitals. <laughs> um, so, I mean, take your pick. What's the, it's the lesser of two evils. It it's is, the lions. It is during this bait and switch lion workbench stakeout that I got jump scared by that second fucking owl, by the way. <laughs> I think it was a crow. <laughs> fucking hell. Do you know what? It's, it's, that's just a sign of the uh, Oscar-worthy sound editing right there. Like, don't, don't feel bad. That's <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. 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 Those, hoot, those hooting crows. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> also, the only thing that I'm guilty of here is being really bad at identifying birds. Yeah, you're no ornithologist. <laughs> uh, also, takes ninety minutes, but we finally get lion vision. No, there's some lion vision at the start through, but it's like it's not in the same way. Like the, this lion vision is, has like some cheesy, cheesy effect. You can't just go yeah. changing your lion vision halfway through when it suits you. And they do because there's um, scenes in uh, in the fields of wheat or whatever it is at the start from from the lion's perspective. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're still doing the sort of jaws thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which actually, speaking of jaws, I heard that the best pitch for this film. Uh, the writer originally intended it to be Lawrence of Arabia meets Jaws. Brilliant! Wow. I think they succeeded. and it's lovely to see that vision realized so perfectly (laughs) pretty powerful stuff enter the lion at this point i am at this point yeah pretty engaged with this but i am at my creeping about with a rifle tipping point (laughs) yeah there's a there's a huge portion of the film i feel like it's dedicated to rifle creeping i feel like there's a solid 30 35 percent of it it's just um, and michael douglas keeping about with rifles um remington dispatches a lion at this point and an incredibly premature celebration ensues <laughs> what you mean when he uh, blasts a lion that's flying in slow motion through the air out of the sky and then uh, Remington, Val Kilmer, and Samuel, Samuel decide to have a party where they all drink full bottles of champagne. Yeah, they get absolutely <laughs> steaming to celebrate the fact that they have killed one of what we definitely know to be at least two lions. <laughs> I also don't buy that the, the lion, as it's leaping for Val Kilmer, um, its trajectory is going to land on him, but somehow the bullet uh, manages to throw it off its course. <laughs> It's an incredibly, yeah. I, I think Michael Douglas knows his weapons and I think it's incredibly gauche you to double guess him. I, I mean, his name is Remington, I guess. 
there's a nightmare sequence here that I oh, that, see, that, I, that I, fell for, I fell for it. I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck is she doing there? They brought his baby to a town called Slaughter. <laughs> because they say earlier yeah. on, that's what Savo means. <laughs> And then, I mean, it's, it's fair that you fell for it because uh, unlike most streams, this has uh, scenes which feature solely uh, Emily Mortimer, <laughs> not from Val Kilmer's perspective. <laughs> She's dreaming in other people's perspectives. Wow. That's, that's an incredibly good point. It's such a cheat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, I was surprised that it was an Emperor sequence, but why the fuck wouldn't I be? Because yeah. it's shot very cinematically from multiple angles. Yeah. And Valcomer is not there for most of it. <laughs> yeah. And it certainly appears at this point as well that, the, that not only has she come to visit with her potato head baby, but that the bridge build is back on. Yeah. Mm. Um, and yeah. everything seems to be fine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, like, when I when I thought that what was going to happen here was that uh, Helena and the child turned up and got mauled by the lion right in front of John Patterson's eyes, I was ready to stand up and applaud. See, so, like, when, yeah. like, <laughs> like, like, when I thought that that was where this was going, I was like, fucking hell, $45 million film, gutsy move. That is a brave move. Yeah, yeah. I was devastated when he woke up. Yeah, very, very disappointed. He wakes up, right? And yeah, it's a dream. Uh, that's fine. But then, in the very next shot, this is when I said that the, the, the obvious editing issues come to the fore because in the very next shot, he's running across a field covered in blood to find the corpse of Charles Remington. Yeah, and this is my final point in the Remington being the most useless character that's built up to be this ultimate badass. But <laughs> yeah, he uh, manages to scrappily kill one of the lions with the help of the other two. Yeah. And then dies instantly. Yep. He's off camera as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> I was quite surprised by that. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that Michael Douglas just went, and I've done done what I needed to do. Yeah, that's plenty. That's plenty. <laughs> you get the point. Is, is beneath him to be killed on screen? Well, the character didn't exist in the real story anyway. Oh, really? No, oh. no. And apparently in the true real ver- version of events of the Lions of Savile, it was John Patterson that killed both lions. Ah, okay. Kind of makes it feel like even more of a kind of self-indulgent thing for Michael Douglas for the for the character to be fictionalized than Michael Douglas to also choose that it's Wolverine style lion claws from the first lion that he killed. He made a like a, a main thing, like he made turned one of their heads into a hat and he became the lion and hunted the lions. Sharp. Fuck off. Well, I made all that up. I thought when I said... Deadpan master. I thought when I said that he made lion gauntlets that you might have been like... Mm. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I well, know. I mean, the fact that like Mahina killed one with his bare hands, it, it, it's not that much of a stretch. You know, no. he's got a, an upper hand in that way. That does make me wish for a kind of like, you know, like a Nicolas Cage in the bear suit in the Wicker Man type sequence. <laughs> That would sadly never arrive. Um, final sta- final standoff between uh, Patterson and the one remaining lion. Unsure if it's Caesar or Bongo. Um, or indeed mm-hmm. Ghost or Darkness. But uh, yeah, this th- this kind of plays out, I, I, I think, kind of fairly unspectacularly. It plays out as it has to. I think it's fine. I think it's a fair. And I think it's quite true, again, to the real story. Because when he dispatches Caesar or Bongo, Ghost or Darkness, the lion is in the process of biting down on a log. And it kind of dies with like a log in its mouth mm-hmm. that happened apparently oh, okay. that's uh, that's quite true to the story and in this the log is replaced with Valcomer's leg <laughs> oh is it his leg <laughs> yeah, yeah is it not oh I thought it was around his no I thought it was biting a tree oh god now I feel like I haven't banged attention at all no I, I genuinely don't know but I, I think I agree with both of you I think it, it's both like quite a good sequence and also a little just 
it feels like the most Hollywood thing about this film. It's just wrapped up in a very kind of predictable way of just here's like a set piece and it's pretty by the numbers. Yeah, but, but I can't really fault it. Like it's by the numbers, but it's it's quite it's well put together. Yeah, it does the simple things well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, there is there is something to be said for that. I think that this. Um, uh, for for as much as I've enjoyed it, and I have, we'll get to that. But I think that, like, um, just in general, I think that the way this ends is maybe a little bit too neat for my liking. Mm. I see, because like, because genuinely, after that, uh, Samuel comes back in on voiceover, and he's like, "And all the crew came back, and then yeah. the bridge was completed on time, and then the child was born, and he met the child, and everyone went home." Yeah. Well, you and see it, all that. He earns so, the respect um, of Abdullah as well. Yeah. He gives him like a sort of solemn nod, like, "You're okay." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but remember earlier when I said. Oh, his wife brought their child to a town called Slaughter. Still, she does. Still does yeah, it. Yeah, she yeah. actually does. That child will be dead in months. <laughs> and also good to see that they've killed the only two lions in all of Africa. <laughs> I mean, this is turn of the century. The, the, the kids' numbers up anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's one hundred percent a malaria statistic. Fair yeah, is, yeah, fair yeah. assessment. Well, like, there, I bet he had like six kids or something, and like two survived. <laughs> standard for the time yeah. Yeah. standard you always have a backup <laughs> just what happened back then yeah. and um yeah with that i was gonna say with that we're out but i mean with um with a long static shot of a bridge and some credits we are done and the information that the real lines can be found at the field museum in chicago illinois yeah mm, yeah which is true they can be yeah I looked mm, up yeah. a picture of them they're mainless mainless oh yeah, interesting yeah. weirdly bald looking yeah. <laughs> incredibly creepy yeah um, that's that's all um, taxidermy, though. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> not the best yeah. taxidermy job either. Like, you, you know that website that's what, uh, the bad tax, I think it's just yeah. called Bad Taxidermy or something nah. like that. Is it? Um, got a touch of that? Yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah, there's a swipe of the. These could have been better. Right, <laughs> <about them. laughs> it's a touch of the trainees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just want to quickly touch on one thing before yeah. we go on. Um, Going back to Stephen Hopkins talking about his um, experiences on the film, just to give you a kind of idea of what it would have been like on this. Um, so Val Kilmer came to it straight from the island of Dr. Moreau, which okay. everyone knows was an absolute shit show. But he said that uh, some of the things that they endured during the shoot of this were scorpion stings, snake bites, tick bite fever, people being hit by lightning, hippo attacks, floods, torrential rains, and several deaths. Fucking hell. Were caused by drowning. Yeah, I read that too, and I was quite surprised at where the... Have you got the rest of the quote there? Because he then, <coughs> after saying that, he goes on to say, but Val was great, he's such a good guy, you know, like, he did such a good job. It's like, wait, 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 several deaths. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, don't believe what you read about Val Kilmer, though. It's like, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> he was such a trooper. He just uh, came in and did the work. What a guy. But yeah, Hop- Hopkins also says that uh, the film's a mess, and he hasn't been able to watch it properly. Then how does he know? <laughs> I, I, I just had a quick look at my notes as well and I can't believe I, I forgot to mention them. Um, they do the Lion King moment with the baby that's right oh my god yeah, it's, yeah. it's so brilliant like she passes well first off he's like fucking covered in like grime and potentially blood and like god knows what except for his teeth yeah. they're perfect <laughs> absolutely perfect and his frosted tips they're yeah. still in like really good condition but yeah, yeah she passes over the baby to him like he doesn't have to wash his hands or anything and then he proceeds to hoist it in the air a la Lion King uh, <laughs> and I also learned that, that Simba 
Yes. <laughs> Swahili for lion. There you go. So there we go. <laughs> and on that bombshell. It's come full circle. Here we are. Yeah. So yeah, Andy, first watch? Second no. watch? No, it was uh, I think it was a second or third watch. Okay. Um how long had it been? When did it come out? Ninety six. Ninety six, yeah. Probably around that time. Okay. So twenty three years. Yeah, so we well. How did it hold up for you this time? I still quite liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I, I mean it they've obviously what like we've kinda of touched on, ramped up the feline carnage. I would say, uh, for okay. cinematic purposes. I don't know if it was quite as aggressively violent and, I mean, it's a bloodbath. Yeah, when it kicks off, it really is. It's preposterous, but it's preposterous in a way that is kind of grounded in reality. Like It feels believable. I think because it's based on a true story as well. Mm-hmm. There's part of it that it's much easier to suspend your disbelief. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're like, Jeez, they did kill 150 people, 850 men in one night. Yeah, like, if this film didn't have any grounding in reality, it would be beyond belief. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense how this could have happened. I no, I know on a lot of levels. I think you're probably right. I mean, this was this this was a first watch for me, and um, when Andy told me this is what you'd chosen, and I read about it, I was like, okay. Here we go. Let's see how this goes. Um, I um, I like this way more than I expected to, actually. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. And I actually think that regardless of, um, obviously, it sounds like Michael Douglas was a real problem <laughs> um, in a lot of ways in this film. I think, I think that he in particular does really good work in this, actually. I think that he, I think he's really good. I'm not a Val Kilmer fan in general, and I really struggle with a lot of what he does in this film. And a lot of the time, I'm actually, like, I, that, that can be a kind of showstopper for me. If I can, like, if I find a central performance to be like distractingly poor, which I think sometimes this kind of verges on being, and not, <laughs> like, like it threatens to kind of yank me out of it, and weirdly, it never did with this. There's something about it that I really kind of warmed up to. Um, yeah, I thought it's a really interesting selection. I'm really glad that I've seen it. I could see myself going back to it. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I had a lot. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with it. It was a really good show. Nice one. Nice. Yeah, yeah I love this one. It's so easy to watch. It's incredibly easy to just like it's it's a train that's very easy to get on. I think mm-hmm. that just like within within about kind of ten minutes when Tom Wilkinson had like very expositionally described what was about to happen, mm-hmm. and then it was just like right, okay, next frame they're in Africa, let's do it. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think like it's actually it's, it's a pretty tight script. Yeah, like yeah. I, I, as you said, I guess it's, there's not much subtle about it. There's not really much nuance, but it's you know all the beats are there. It just kind of goes by the book, and it's it's just dead easy to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm with you though about. Um, I guess you, you backtracked a wee bit about it being a bloodbath, but I, I could do with a more visceral version of this story. Well, uh, yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but apparently there's an Indian remake. Yeah, 2001 apparently. Yeah, mm. maybe they go a lot uh, further down the carnage and uh, gore. I, I, yeah. I want this remake now. I want Pascal Logier's The Ghost of the <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm intrigued by that Indian one because I think the the Indian perspective is very um lacking in this film that's like, uh, that's a pretty astute observation um the you know yeah. you've only you've got abdullah who's the voice of all all of the indian population of this film of which well, they're african no because there's indian workers as well yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah 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 oh, right. yeah like i think they say first there's like ha- half of them are indian half are um like kenyans oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but you're you're right i mean this is like, a hindu muslim they talk about yeah. Hindu Muslim splatters yeah, yeah, as it relates to cows. Yeah. Yeah. But um uh, yeah, I think like that's that's a good point and one that's worth mentioning. That like, yeah, there's literally hundreds of an Indian presence in the film that um the voice of which is distilled down to one man who has very few lines. Yeah. 
yeah i mean this film is incredibly problematic yeah. <laughs> after like defending it for i don't know an hour or something like yeah i think it is also probably fair enough to look back and make those admissions as well. I, think, <laughs> like, I mean i think you can make those admissions and you say yeah of course it is a problematic film but i think it was crucially it was a problematic time yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah and a particularly problematic time um, as it relates to British people and yeah. British people's behaviour to everyone else that yeah, yeah. didn't live on this little island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also it's like the film's twenty three years old. Yeah, yeah, no, I, like I don't blame it. It's a, it's a product of its time. Absolutely, like, but I think if you're going to make a film about colonisation, which is what this is, it's set, it's set in eighteen ninety eight. Yeah, um, I think you kind of need to prepare yourself for that because it's it was a very real. It was the reality of what it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's also true. I mean, like if this is the story that you're telling, you have to tell it in that way. Yeah, yeah. I think as well. Yeah. So yeah, an Indian remake. I'm I'm intrigued by that. Definitely, mm. it's, it's out there. Yeah. It, it, I, I did see that. Yeah, like I said, I think it was just around about the turn of the millennium, wasn't it? Yeah. Also, this found its way on uh, Roger Ebert's worst of 1996. <laughs> yeah, zero point five out of four. He actually f- fractioned one of the stars. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was furious about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's another thing. Actually, like, I'm surprised that this is so divisive. I'm surprised that so many like I can understand people watching it and kind of like not necessarily kind of like being able to kind of like get caught up in it. But mm. I think that like kind of vociferously hating it is quite weird to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, to me, it's just one of those. It's just a nice, classic kind of adventure films. It feels like an old school adventure film. Yeah, it's and like a Sunday, it's a Sunday afternoon film. Yeah, it's just perfect to yeah, just turn turn your brain off. I don't think that's what they were going for, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is, and it works really well like that. Yep, yep. I'm happy over that. I, you know, if they remade it now, it would be absolutely chock a block with action. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. would be bombastic to an extent that was. That would be maddening. John Patterson would be played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> Wait a minute. I take it back. Get it, mate. <laughs> you pitched me. I'm sold. Here's $200 million. Yep, get it done. Uh, Graham, don't want to wrap this up without talking about Death of a Vlogger. Yes, congratulations, sir. That, yeah, you're fresh off the premiere at Fright Fest. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, it was, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, mentioned it on the minisode last week, um, it was my favourite film of the festival. Amazing. Um, I thought it was brilliant. Do you want to talk a little bit about it for anyone that wasn't there, hasn't seen it, a little bit about how it came together? Uh, yeah, so it's, um, it's a kind of found footage mockumentary type film, not a comedy. Uh, about a vlogger that's trying to go viral and um, doing everything to get famous online and then one of his videos uh, gains accidental virality when it contains an alleged haunting um, and then the documentary just follows him as he kind of goes down a rabbit hole and explores it and uh, the kind of reaction of the internet as well and just all about like internet shaming and fake news and social media addiction and ghosts yeah <laughs> I didn't know too much about it going in and when it started, I was kind of expect I I kind of expected something that was kind of just going to be a little bit more straight found footage. So obviously, kind of like I think that it's very funny when it needs to be. It's very scary when it needs to be. And you're right. It's like I think it's it says a lot of really interesting stuff about kind of like shame culture on the internet and things like that. And uh, kind of like I think that the way that the story kind of unfolds, these plot beats of kind of a thriller and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think it's a, just a really, really impressive and kind of complete piece of work. I was really impressed with it. Really liked it. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, me too, mate. And I was especially uh, impressed at the decision to uh, not only write and direct it, but to appear in it as yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite a personal film. <laughs> <laughs> the, the character has the same name as me and wears my clothes and lives in my flat. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that, like, not basically. <laughs> 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 
isn't there a fair amount of your uh, your past work in there as well that, that, that did inform that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of the reasons of making the film and that like i just i tried to get like a, a no budget feature off the ground it was like a 10 grand budget mm-hmm. and was trying to make it look like 100 grand as you do sure mm-hmm. um and it was just a fucking nightmare and um i'd done something similar before but it was like a strain and this time it was too much and i had to pull the plug like two weeks before the shoot right Fuck. and then i was in like a pit of despair and uh, I saw uh, Matt Johnson's The Dirties, mm-hmm. um, which is a Canadian found footage film. Have you guys seen it? I haven't seen it. No. no. Um, and it's, it's fucking amazing. It's about um, two kids that are planning a school shooting, um, but it's kind of a comedy, but it's also like a found footage film. Okay. And uh, that was made for like $10,000 or something. Like, obviously, they paid money to clean it up once it got picked up. Sure, but yeah. mm-hmm. production costs, it was like nothing. And they just used you know the the kit they had around them and the people they had around them and like made that their aesthetic and like didn't apologize for it like which is the film i was trying to do like try to like hide how cheap it was yeah and they mm-hmm. just wore it on their sleeves and it made it so much better um so yeah, i started thinking like what can i do like what assets do i have and one of those was like i've made shitloads of vlogs and videos yeah. and um i can use that if i if i star in it then i can do a documentary and i can be like the main character i was like it's not literally me like sure yeah but yeah it's just like having that it's instantly a bit of like production value mm-hmm. um and just makes it a bit easier as well mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. I, I was blown away as well there's a, a lot of certainly as a filmmaker watching it there was a lot of stuff that i was like how'd that sneaky bastard manage to pull that off like, <laughs> there was a lot of real kind of invention particularly run about the kind of the haunting stuff yeah um that i was really impressed by Nice. Yeah. Well, it was it was hard. <laughs> it was, I've like I've got no no experience in like visual effects. Like I can use After Effects, and that's yeah. about it. Everything else, it was just like right. I, I want this like sheet to levitate. It's like how can you just do that? Like what's what's a logical way to approach that? And it was just trial and trial and error. Like first it was like screwing hooks into the ceiling, and then right. like fishing wire and stuff, and then try to hoist the sheet and then you get this like stupid point, point that, yeah. and it's like, it's like okay. Ku Klux Klan yeah Ku <laughs> Klux Klan ghost yeah it's like it's, it's, it's about a vlogger whose flat is haunted by a white supremacist <laughs> David Duke fuck up <laughs> that's uh, somehow more terrifying so, yeah. so without giving away too much how much is digital there's some wire removal alright that's fine that's that, it. Does, that doesn't count yeah everything else everything's pretty much practical apart from well no everything's practical um there's like some magnets <laughs> in places yeah a lot of fishing line that's cool uh, presumably a lot of people crawling around between your feet yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah there's a there's a scene um that was shot on like a 360 camera oh yeah like a vr camera and like edited it to a flat perspective so it's i think it's called like overcapture the name they're like branding it with now so yeah, I'm controlling the perspective of this like VR camera, and uh, I'm gonna need to like publish the actual like VR like shot of it unedited, so you can sit in and like just watch like the visual effects person just like <laughs> running around like behind where the camera is pointing and like going under the table and yeah, like, presumably there was a lot of choreography involved in getting people out of the way before things swing swing back to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um. Like that—that that was the last scene we filmed, and it's it's like a five and a half minute like single take. There's no yeah. there's no hidden edits in it, um, and uh, yeah, it was just like the blocking of that took forever, and yeah, I left it to last because it was just like this might not work. <laughs> um, I might have to like reshoot this in a different way, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. it didn't. Cause it just came together. Yeah, and how yeah. and how much then of that that five minutes kind of oh 
the film overall was scripted and how much leeway did yourself and like Paddy have to, to kind of go off and do your own thing? Uh, so that five minutes was like pretty much to the letter. Right. Uh, because it was so like dependent on the blocking and the timing of everything and like the person who was in the effects had to like know their uh, the cues from the lines as well. And then like scene by scene, it, it depends. Like as you mentioned, Paddy, amazing actor, but he's not great at learning lines. <laughs> okay. But he is like just such a brilliant improviser. He's so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. So like with Paddy, it was more just like, this is how the scene plays out and we just kind of worked through it and it, it made it more natural for yeah. him and uh, then like Annabelle Logan um, she's like more classically trained and sure. she, she just uh, memorised everything by rote and was like lying perfect so it just kind of depended on like who was working and just kind of let, let the actors do what suited them best. Suit them. Cool. So I don't know how much uh, information you can give us on this but uh, what's next for the film? Uh, trying to work out distribution Right, got some leads, but um, yeah, that's <laughs> <a little bit laughs> that. yeah. <laughs> say no more. Uh, but the, the the reaction at Fright Fest was uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty amazing. It's, it was fucking mind blowing. Like, um, yeah, I I feel very very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, I don't feel lucky. It, you made a good film. Yeah, you, made, <laughs> like, you, you did make a good film. Um, it's not like, always enough. <laughs> well, that's also true. Yeah. But I mean, as you know, me and John McPhail watched it and, yeah. uh, and we, we both pinged you how much we liked it as well. Obviously, yeah. we went at the festival. We had our own little festival. Yeah, yeah. that sounds so good. I, <laughs> I kind of wish I was there. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I had a great time with it, man. I think you, I think you did a, a great job. You should be dead proud. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. And uh, Graham, where can people keep up with you social media wise? Twitter is probably best um, at Faction Man. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Graham, thanks so much for taking Graham, the time to do this. I really appreciate it. I know. Oh, thanks. Thank this is so much yeah. fun. I really want to come back. <laughs> anytime you want, man. Anytime you want. Anytime so you many want, films want to talk back. about. Yes. You can come back. You know what? You can't be an in person guest, can you? No, you can't. You can't. It's nice. It's nice. And it's not, probably nice for us as well to have somebody else to look at. <laughs> understandable if you're sick in my face at this point big thank you though to mr graham hughes for joining us tonight and talking one the ghost in the darkness and two death of a vlogger and we weren't just blowing smoke because he was sitting here that film was brilliant yeah it's really really good really um, really good but i suppose that's just about all she wrote for another one yeah yeah thanks to everybody for listening of and course. thanks to my neighbor for uh, <laughs> picking tonight to do diy yeah. yeah thanks yeah. for that lovely uh, i hope your cabinets are lopsided <laughs> whatever the fuck it is I hope your bedroom looks like a tin bottom nightmare <laughs> however we are back on Monday we are uh, yeah. with Minisode 69 where we'll be okay. doing all the usual stuff <laughs> um, we'll be taking a look at my ventures through the shopwaves 100 which as it stands is non-existent but I'll get one done sure it'll sure, be done sure. um, we'll be talking about what we've been watching there could be some interesting stuff in there this week um, also we're going to be playing Mitch's Pitches taking a look at your feedback on that subject if you want to get in touch with us yeah. you can do Facebook and Instagram Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC and you can email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and there's also a inquiry form on our website, strongviolentpod.com. <laughs> the contact us form. Yeah, lovely. Which also includes the full list of podcast providers where you can listen to us. Actually, it's not the full list, as I've said before, that is a non exhaustive list. But uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of them there. There's stuff there, yeah. So you can find what you prefer and get in about it. And as ever, I'm going to take a second to give a shout out to our pals at Podbean, our host and home. 
Yeah, and I just want to say again, because uh, we don't say it, I mean, we say it a lot, but I still don't feel we can ever say it enough. Massive thanks to everybody for listening. Yes, like, yeah, they're again, good people. Yeah, again, it stops us just from screaming into the void. Absolutely. Um, and it keeps us coming back. Yeah, it does, it does. And speaking of which, not only are we back on Monday, we're back next Friday with another episode, and we've already got a guest and film lined up and everything. And it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> We'll be revealing all on Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it's better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 